someone asked me um, what the definition of business growth was. And my response was continual improvement. If you are not doing that, you are going backwards. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76 Whether it means passing a business on to the next generation or selling to an outside buyer, any manufacturing business owner will reach a point where he or she needs to transition out. But the time for that owner to start thinking about how to create value in the business needs to start long before that day comes. And as my guest today will tell you, the things that help you build a successful company happen to be the same things that will make your business valuable in the eyes of its future owners. Let me introduce her. Fran Brunel is the founder of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., which specializes in the sale of lower middle market manufacturing companies nationally. Fran and her team help to ensure the continuity of U.S. manufacturing by transitioning ownership to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Recently, Fran was named one of the 2020 most influential women in mid-market M&A or mergers and acquisitions. Fran is also the host of the WAM Women and Manufacturing Podcast, a Jacket Media production. Fran writes on topics that help manufacturing business owners prepare their companies for sale and navigate the sales process to ensure a positive financial result in support of their retirement. Fran, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, I, I love, I always love having another podcast host on and it makes it easy because it's not your first rodeo doing this. And, um, and, yeah. and I, lo I love your, your expertise here. I think you've, you've got, um, you, you and I have had a, a number of conversations um, before, and I think that you've got a lot of valuable insights here from your experience working with the exact audience of this show. And um, so yeah, let's, I think let's get straight into the conversation here. Good. So Fran, you told me in a previous conversation that the things that make a manufacturing business successful are usually the same things that make them easy to sell and at higher prices. And I, this is such a logical, but really smart statement. I bet also it's, it's not how business owners are always thinking though, is it? No, it's not. Um, but it, it is completely true. Um, things that oftentimes manufacturers kind of coast on the way to retirement, and they shouldn't be, because it's going to affect what they get for their business. So they should be thinking about things like uh, the dependency of the business on them as a shareholder. You need to transition away from that. That means training your staff, developing leaders, developing a team where that tribal knowledge of the company rests not just in one or two people, right? Um, 
It also means uh, embracing, embracing change, new technologies that come out in manufacturing equipment. You know, your manufacturing equipment may work perfectly, but if there is a newer version of a machine, a technology out that can uh, produce the same type of part at three times the speed, you will eventually be out of business if you do not embrace that new technology because your competitor will be able to make the parts faster. There's just, there's all kinds of things. Um, one of the things that good buyers look for is standard operating procedures. Are they documented? And buyers worry about things like this because if uh, there's not, and something happens to the seller post-acquisition, um, and, and the company has not been properly transitioned, the buyer's entire investment is at risk. Um, so uh, standard op uh, uh, operating procedures, you know, lack of dependency on the seller, embracing change, embracing new technology, also things like, um, what are you doing to ensure that you will have a pipeline of skilled workers? You talk to manufacturers around the country, and I'm sure you talk to very few who don't complain about this skills gap. But the difference is not everyone is experiencing this in the same way. Those who are taking action um, are seeing a lot less difficulty in attracting skilled workers. So these are things that buyers look for, and they actually cause a company to uh, trade at a higher multiple. It's very interesting. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, it's, it's, I've been given advice by, well, I've received lots of bad advice along the way and lots of good advice in building my business. And, um, you know, I, I remember there was an advisor, his name's David Baker. He, he advises uh, manufacturing, I'm sorry, he advises marketing agencies like us specifically. And, um, you know, one of the pieces of advice that we, we sort of gleaned from him years back was to just, you always need to be running your business as if you are planning to sell it. And even though that's, you know, for me, it, it's never, ne never been my intention. At some point, we'll think about exit strategy, I'm sure. But for right now, we're running a business we love. But if you just kind of always think of it through that lens, you're making decisions that are in the best long-term interest of, of your business. It's going to be the same stuff that's just going to help us be successful as opposed to, you know, just sort of fighting the fires that are, are here on the surface or trying to, you know, make numbers look better than they really are when it really doesn't, you know, doesn't mean a whole lot. So I imagine there are quite a, quite a few parallels here to what you see in your world. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I say that the opposite of the way that the coach does. I say, mm -hmm. run it like you're not selling it. Running oh, it like yeah. you're going to be in it for the next two decades, right? Where you have to, you have to worry about continued improvement. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's when they're skipping yeah. towards retirement and kind of letting things slide. That's when manufacturers get into trouble their sales start to slip, staff recognizes it, the culture change changes, people start moving to other manufacturing companies for employment. It's dangerous to start skating. If I was recently um, on another podcast and someone asked me um, what the definition of business growth was. 
And my response was continual improvement. If you are not doing that, you are going backwards. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I suppose regardless of how you look at it, it's you got to be thinking about the long term, not putting band-aids on for the short term, really, right? Right, exactly. So, friend, you started to get into this a little bit, and I know you have what is it like a 140-point checklist or, or something of things that you you know a manufacturer needs to be sort of thinking about to um, as as you're you know approaching you know, potentially selling your, your business, but I'd love, you know, obviously we can't sit here and go through one, right. all 140, but what I'd love for you to do is, you know, maybe hit on a few that you think are particularly important, um, or even some that, you know, you feel like maybe less obvious or even a little surprising to manufacturing business owners. Cause I, you know, you, you said it to me in a previous conversation, but, um, there's so much more than just say adjusted EBITDA that is going to factor into the sale of the business, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's funny. After our last conversation, um, my staff actually started looking and they went, you keep saying it's 140, it's over 175. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, here's yeah. what I would say to manufacturers. Um, first of all, uh, whether or not you're considering retirement right now, it's very important for you to understand the value of your business and what affects value, right? And if someone is speaking to you in terms of value um, as simply a multiple of adjusted EBITDA, you need to run in the other direction, seriously, because there are so many different items that affect value. Um, and, and again, we it's over 175 different data points that we look at. So we're diving into things like, of course, there's the standard things like customer concentration, sector concentration, but more importantly, diving into who are this manufacturer's customers? How large are they? How dependent is that menu, that OEM say on that manufacturer? Are they sole source with them? What is their, what is their on-time delivery record with them? That these are all things that, that speak into value, right? Um, sector concentration is not always relevant. We do a lot of work in the aerospace sector. And if, you know, if a buyer comes along and, and comments on uh, sector concentration for an aerospace component manufacturer, uh, our response is typically, well, Cupcake, this is not an acquisition for you, because if, if you're doing anything of relevance within the manufacturing sectors, you're in, in within the aerospace sector, you are going to have a customer concentration. So it's, you know, these items might be different depending on the sector. You know, we'll look at things like, what is the company culture? Do people want to work there? You know, this speaks into um, being able to have a pipeline of, of uh, future workers. Um, just, oh my gosh, there's so many different things. Um, you know, what, what is the difficulty of the components they're making? How many people in the country have, uh, we just listed a company, we, don't, we haven't taken it to market yet, but they're a manufacturer of um, molds for plastic injection molding and mold bases. 
but they're really unique in that the size part that they're making, almost nobody can do this. There's only a few people in the country that makes them more valuable. So just so again, so far beyond uh, a multiple of adjusted EBITDA. And what happens is there might be like an industry standard for a multiple, but it goes up or it goes down depending on all of these other factors and they all play into it. Do you have standard operating procedures? What's the bench of managers that you have in place? Do you have long-term contracts? Um, do you have blanket purchase orders with timed releases, length of customer relationships? So, I mean, you could just go on forever and ever. That's great. I, I'm going to come back around at the end of our um, our conversation here and have you kind of direct people to you know, your, your business website and everything. But is there is there a place as you rattle off these factors? You, you have something published on your site, right, where people can kind of look at all these factors. So we have um, we have a learning center, which is basically our our blog. Um, in it, they'll find things like the definitive guide to preparing your company for sale. It's uh, something every manufacturer should read, even if you're not prepared to retire for another decade. Start worrying about this stuff now. We right, love, love when people come to us in advance and mm -hmm. start the conversation like, what do I need to, I'm not ready yet, but what do I need to be aware of? Because it gives them time to correct things, right? So we had a, we had a conversation with um, a delightful manufacturing company who we will um, very much enjoy working with when the time is right. Um, but through the valuation process, we discovered that they had a real issue with um, working capital. So in lower middle market deals, there's a working capital requirement. Um, and it's, it's a math calculation. It's basically your current assets, less your current liabilities. Uh, buyers will look at a 12 month average and will set a target. And to the extent that working capital exists above or below at the time of closing, the purchase price will be adjusted. So if a company really doesn't have any, they ha, they, they're a company that has to have a lot of inventory, right? Um, but they really don't have payables to offset. The working capital requirement can be huge. Well, this company was paying bills when they were still warm from the mailman's hand. And so their working capital number was, was off what it should have been by about a million dollars. And so, okay, we can, here's how you correct that, right? And so if he had not come to us in advance, he wouldn't have known this. And he was not at a place where he had to retire. He was just trying to uh, take advantage of a very strong market. Yeah. Other people, um, a company in New England, we rejected them twice, but they did what we told them to do. They doubled their sales as a result. Um, and now they're ready to, to enter the M&A process and they'll be successful. That's great. You know, I, I imagine there are just, um, 
you probably see the opposite thing too, where, where people are, they're not preparing ahead of time and they, they want to exit their business in a year and there's so much to do. So if you can just get out ahead of that and, and at least be informed on what things you need to be thinking about. So when you reach that point, it's not a scramble, right? Yeah, that's true. You asked me um, as part of the prior question, what are some mm -hmm. unusual things that affect value yeah. that maybe people don't think of? Um, one of the things is, again, often on the approach to retirement as they're retiring, maybe their website has not been updated in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and it looks like it was put into place while Bill Clinton was in office. Well, you know, if you're a lower middle market manufacturer, what you need to realize is a company that's going to acquire you is much larger. Um, everything we've sold in the last year, almost two years, sold in an all cash transaction. So if someone has the ability to write a check for your manufacturing company, they're not going to pay their nephew to throw up some, uh, you know, one page website. It's not going to happen. They want to protect their investment. So think about it. They're going to, uh, you know, think about a website that's perhaps uh, cost between $50,000 and $100,000. You know, you say no big deal in... Um, you know, in the big scheme of things, if it's a 15, $20 million manufacturing company, well, it is a big deal to your retirement. Here's why. When they remove that 50 to $100,000 of cash flow that they're not going to experience because they have to invest in this, it's not just that money. What multiple was applied to this, to that cash flow to arrive at the value? Right. So most recently we were selling at roughly a, a 7x multiple for a good quality manufacturing company with all of the characteristics that I described. So $50,000 at a 7x, what you're talking $350,000. If it's $100,000 for the website, you're taking $700,000 away from your retirement. It's a big deal. And it's something that people don't think about because when they did it, when they put it into place, they were a $2 million manufacturing company and their neighbor's kid put the website up for them. Well, the person that's going to write a check for 15 or $20 million is not going to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. There are there are certain, I can't help as a marketing guy myself to think about some of those things that are probably not on the mind of a traditional manufacturing business owner who's, you know, second, third, fourth generation, maybe. Um, so I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, like what, what value is there in say, being able to demonstrate that you have a, a new business pipeline that is in place through say search engines, people that are you know, inbound leads through search engines and you know, where you're actually, you have attributed quoted business to a marketing program or, you know, even on the sales side, having, um, you know, being able to demonstrate some attribution for what you're doing, like, are those things that get looked at in this process? Oh, absolutely. It is um, imperative that um, manufacturers maintain an upward trajectory of their sales. Companies that do that and are selling while they're on the up 
are going to trade at higher multiples. And again, often on the approach to retirement, people don't worry about these things. Well, they should, you know? And I think a lot of it is, um, you know, back when they went into business in the late 80s, perhaps in the early 90s, it was a different world. The internet wasn't used the way it is today right? Um, perhaps the, the uh, buyer that um, is ordering parts um, from, for Boeing from their company um, or, you know, uh, Sikorsky or whatever, the, that person that's, that they've dealt with for decades is, is of your age. They're ready to retire. What happens when they do? And they're replaced by someone fresh out of college. That person wants to not just do things the same old way. They want to make a name for themselves and they want to discover whether or not um, there's a better choice out there for components for their employer. And they're going to turn to the internet. They're going to turn to social media. So it's imperative that manufacturers be visible um, on these social channels. Yeah, well, it's, it's um, I like hearing that coming from someone in, in your seat because it's obvious to me, but, and I don't, I think it's not obvious to a, a lot of business owners who've kind of been doing things the same way on the business development front for so many years. Yeah. And you know what, listen, that it's the, the, the sales and marketing aspect is the thing that is most often lacking in a uh, founder-led manufacturing company. And I, what I don't want to do is leave the impression that manufacturers have to be perfect to enter the M&A process, because they don't. Um, what, what we're discussing today is how to get optimal pricing right? The sales and marketing aspect does not necessarily scare buyers away if it doesn't exist. And the why of that is that um, it's something that's easily cor correctable. Um, and there are firms like yours that can help acquirers navigate this easily and seamlessly, right? So it's not, a, it's not as big an issue in M&A as it would be if there were no standard operating procedures, mm -hmm. if the company was completely dependent on the seller. These are things that dramatically affect value. Well said. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic. And one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, 
just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Well, friend, uh, shifting gears here, we're recording this in early July of 2022. All signs right now are pointing to a recession. What's the market look like right now from the standpoint of selling a manufacturing business? You know, even though, so most people say we're kind of already in a recession, many say the worst of it is going to hit in 2023. We are not seeing a slowdown in manufacturing M&A. We are still very much in a seller's market. It's amazing. This is the strongest market like last year into this year, strongest market I've seen in my entire career. So companies are trading. And so I'm referring to uh, the Market Pulse report, which tracks the M&A industry quarterly. Not just manufacturing, all of M&A, right? So manufacturing, the numbers tend to, to go higher than the general population because they're more, for many quarters running, manufacturing engineering companies have been the most sought after nationally. But generally speaking, companies have been trading at 107% of list price. So it is a fabulous time to sell. Yes, this is one of the um, fascinating things that came out of the COVID pandemic. Um, Companies that were not traditionally invested in manufacturing, everybody wants to buy a manufacturing company because they were not shut down, they were deemed essential during the lockdowns, right? And so you could have private equities that were uh, previously invested in other sectors. Now they're all driving towards manufacturing um, and not necessarily that our clients want to sell to someone that doesn't have manufacturing experience, but their wonderful participation in the process and the competition drives pricing upward. So it's, it's just a fabulous time. That's really interesting to hear. It's probably not what a lot of people would expect, but um, it's you're you're right in the middle of yeah. it. So it's pretty. I cool. published an article recently on my website where we talk about the fact that um, there. Listen, there's a lot of things in the in the econ- economy that are telling us where we're heading into trouble, right? And so um, I, the article looks at the history of how. Uh, the manufacturing sectors get hit during a recession. And historically, statistically, they get hit worse than other segments of the population. The good news is they come out of it quicker. Uh, At least they have historically. So what I would say to manufacturers is if they were considering retiring next year or in early 2024, have a conversation with an M&A professional about where the market is now 
and what the value of your company is now. You might, not in every case, but in some cases, um, it might be better for a seller to enter the process now. Um, you know, um, acquisition lenders and buyers typically look at a trailing 30, 24 to 36 months. So once you have that bad year in the mix, you got three years to get that out of the calculation, right? So it, you're, you're better off selling in a very strong market in advance of that downturn. Otherwise, you may be in a position where you're forced to wait to get the number that you need for retirement. Grant, have you found that geographical location of a potential buyer tends to uh, have much impact? Um, is it, re you know, do, I guess in other words, when you, when you're listing a manufacturer that wants to sell, do you find that potential buyers tend to be local or regional or do they come from further away? And is any of that changing? So, uh, so I'll refer back to that same market pulse report um, by Pepperdine mm -hmm. University. Um, this has showed they do this quarterly, they track the industry. And for every quarter for the last several years, um, buyers of lower middle market companies are coming from more than 100 miles away. In my world, they're coming from other states. They're, they're sometimes on the other side of the country. We just recently sold something out on the West Coast and uh, the acquirer was from Texas, but they had people look at them from uh, Michigan, Illinois, Massachusetts. The, the people that were bidding on this were from all over the country. And that is typical of what we see. So I, you know, a few things here, and I realize what I'm about to say is self-serving, but it also happens to be the truth. Um, Specialization within M&A matters, right? If the buyers are coming from all over the country, uh, an M&A professional that a manufacturer is talking to better have a national following, you know? And the other thing is this, there are, there are in today's market for, and again, only speaking about lower middle market manufacturing companies, there are three types of buyers. There's a large strategic buyer, a private equity, but there's also an individual buyer who perhaps worked for a Fortune 100 manufacturer and they've been in a leadership position there and they know a thing or two about business development and they're tired of doing it for somebody else. And they're gonna leave that to make an acquisition for their own. Um, we've had, we've got an interview with someone on our website that this was exactly the case. He was a CEO of a publicly traded manufacturing company, left that to acquire his first business, uh, which he bought through us. He has since bought, I think, four manufacturing companies. So here's the thing. If someone, so as you're considering an M&A professional, Finding the large strategics and finding a private equity um, that's invested in a similar space, those are easy to find. 
anybody can find them. That's low hanging fruit. You can buy a list any day of the week, spend a few bucks and you can find out who these people are. That third category is a little bit harder to find. You actually have to create the conditions for them to find you. Because it's not like you can, you, you can advertise to all of these separate you know, individuals within a company and know who might be ready to make an acquisition. You got to create the conditions for them to find you. That's why specialization and working nationally is important. You're not going to get any arguments from me about the the value of specializing within your space. Well, I yeah, that's see what it you in do. my world too. Yep. Yeah, 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 and I, you know, I, I believe it 100. Yeah. percent and I think that um, people who are really serious about a subject, whether it's M and A, selling their business, or hiring a marketing agency to improve their business. If they're mm -hmm. smart, they're going to look for a specialist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good advice there. For a lot of you know owners of manufacturing companies, they've you know they, they this is their baby, right? They brought this up. They've you know a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into it over the years. Maybe it's maybe the business has been in the family for multiple generations. Regardless of um, the situation, I imagine it's you know, there's a lot of emotional decisions. There you know feelings tied up in this, and just a lot somebody goes through um, that probably you know cause people to maybe take longer than they would in, in other decisions they make in, in their life. But um, I'm just kind of curious if there's, I imagine you've seen a lot of success stories over the years of transitioning businesses. I'm wondering if there's one or two you'd like to tell that just sort of, you know, show, show what it's been like for somebody to go through this, even if maybe there was some hesitation. Sure. So the first one that comes to mind, probably because of the way you just introed that question, but uh, we sold a company, they were um, a specialty oven manufacturer. Um, the owner was Marshall Klimczewski. Um, he actually recently did a testimonial video for us. Um, he waited a very long time to sell and he really didn't want to. He loved what he did. To this day, he still loves it and wishes he was still there. But, you know, sometimes as, as you know, founders start to to age, the wife get, gets concerned about their health, wants to spend some time with them, wants to travel. But um, Marshall was um, really, really concerned about his staff. And he wanted us to find someone with specific industry experience. Um, so they weren't just an, so I'm, I'm calling them a specialty oven manufacturer. These ovens were built for specific purposes, unique, like one of them, uh, the nose cone of the Javelin missile was, every one of them was in one of these ovens. Another one, a tool used in brain surgery for brain aneurysms every one of them in one of these ovens. So when I was charged with um, finding someone with industry experience, you talk about finding a needle in a haystack, um, but we did. We found um, a younger guy, half March Marshall's age, who had, um, he came out of a very large manufacturer and again, tired of making somebody else rich. And it was the perfect, 
the absolute perfect match. Um, and both sides, we were just up there in Connecticut recently, both sides were, um, are still very happy um, and, and both sides still like each other, which is the story that we wanna see at the end of the day. Um, a more common story I would, I would also tell is uh, we sold a um, CNC component manufacturer who was servicing um, large agriculture, like mega agriculture equipment and hydraulics. And here the story was different. There were two owners, one was older than the other, and the sale was being sparked by the elders' desire to retire. Um, the younger offers to buy him out. They don't like the price. They think they can do better, which is how they end up on my doorstep. But they had completely competing. One wanted to exit almost immediately, and the other was I think only 39 years old at the time, still had kids in school. He was nowhere near ready to retire. So for him, we had to get, um, you know, a long-term arrangement and he ended up um, investing in the acquiring company. So it was more like a merger than an acquisition. And again, both sides are doing fabulous. And in it, for both of these shareholders, we were able to get them what they wanted. And that's something I think um, manufacturers don't realize. If they have a partner and there's competing interest and desire exit timelines, they think they're stuck. They're not stuck. They're absolutely not stuck. The young man I described um, in this CNC component manufacturer, he will have a second liquidity event that will absolutely rival the first. That's fantastic. Yeah, I imagine there are a lot of ways to get to the outcome you want sometimes. And that's where the expertise comes in, right? And you having seen so many different yeah. companies and situations, there's there are probably a lot of ways to, to get there. Yeah. The other thing we see a lot is manufacturers, they grow and then they hit a plateau and they're not sure what to do next. And that is something that a good M&A professional can help you with. Um, they can help to partner you with someone that can provide um, what you're lacking and get you to a whole new level. And so I always say to people, you know, never, never only trade, never trade stock for only money. Make sure that the person um, that is getting that stock brings something to the table that helps the company grow. Love it. Well, Fran, uh, we've, we've covered a lot here. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to touch on or any kind of parting advice you'd give to manufacturers? My only parting advice would be um, plan early. Oh my gosh, it can make all the difference in the world. This is something so statistically manufacturers wait 
until they are ready to be retired to start the process of investigating um, what is required in, in an M&A transaction. Start early, start a few years early. There are things that we can share with you um, that you can implement that will absolutely change your retirement dollars. It's, I, I cannot emphasize that enough. That's great advice. Well, Fran, this was a really good conversation today. Appreciate you doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all you do to highlight manufacturing. I'm a fan of your podcast. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Um, yep. Watch several episodes and always very informative. Really well, good. I appreciate that, Fran. Thank you. Can you can you tell um, our listeners here, because you yourself are a podcast host, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the Women in Manufacturing podcast, as well as um, point our listeners to where they can learn more about accelerated manufacturing brokers. So I am one of the hosts of the Women and Manufacturing podcast. It's, um, it's owned by Jacket Media Company. Um, I volunteer for this just because I meet fabulous women business owners. Um, and so we're always open to any, um, anyone in women in manufacturing who would like to be on the show, um, or if they're in, in an industry that services the manufacturing community. You know, perhaps um, a software, an ERP system. We've I've interviewed many women that are in um, uh, industries that are servicing manufacturing. Always fascinating conversations. So, if people would like to, um, first of all, for manufacturers, I would encourage them to visit our website. Um, particularly the blog. There's tons of information there that will help you get ready for sale. So it's acceleratedmfgbrokers.com. Um, and they can, my email address is fran at acceleratedmfgbrokers.com. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Francis Brunel. So, yep. Well, beautiful. Please do go check out the Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers website. Um, Fran's knowledge is, as you've probably experienced here, just listening to her is just immense here. And, the, and, and one thing I love, Fran, when I first met you, I looked at your learning center. I said, here's somebody in manufacturing who is actually doing an amazing job just publishing great advice for her audience. And there's a lot there. So um, I think take Fran's advice here, whether or not you are a or somebody who is thinking about exiting anytime soon or making a transition in your business, it's, it's never too early to start uh, informing yourself and becoming knowledgeable about what matters because it's going to help you grow your business anyway. So right. please go, go check out what they're doing. Great. Well, Fran, thanks again. This was really great. Thank you so much for having me. You're a delight. <laughs> Well, thank you, Fran. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.